This is Once Upon a Crime in Hollywood, the Ronnie Chasen story. We left off with new revelations about Rodney Chasen's murder from the release of her autopsy report. By November 2015, Beverly Hills Police turned over 120 semi-redacted pages, including witness reports, call records, and evidence logs to Ryan Katzenbach, the filmmaker. According to Baum, the case files did not include a definitive ballistic match, only an inconclusive report stating the fired bullet jacket could have been fired from the Smith gun as they exhibit similar general rifling characteristics and some agreement of individual characters, but insufficient for an identification. It also noted that the fired bullet core is consistent with 38 special 357 magnum caliber ammunition, but offered no comparison value. Let's welcome back Barry Fisher, former crime lab director for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office. He is now a senior forensic advisor for Park Diaz and Associates and author of Techniques in Crime Scene Investigation. Barry, can you explain how a definitive match would be found and what would qualify as an inconclusive report? Well, the the examiner looking at the uh, bullets, the, the bullet fragments or pieces of bullets uh, uh, recovered at the crime scene and comparing it with a uh, test fire from the weapon in question uh, would have to find sufficient uh, details for uh, the individual, the examiner, to draws a conclusion. Uh, from your reading of the report, there just was not sufficient uh, details present uh, to reach a conclusion other than to say, well, it's, it's, it's consistent with, well, it's probably consistent with that, that gun and any other gun of uh, similar manufacture and make. Uh, so, uh, you know, that kind of information uh, only goes so far in an investigation. Uh, it doesn't. It, it doesn't rule out the individual as the. It doesn't rule out the gun as the weapon, but it doesn't uh, specifically prove that it, it was that gun. Are you surprised Beverly Hills Police Department was confident enough to speak about the ballistic match based on the preliminary report? You know, it's it's hard to get into somebody's head when they're um, confronted by a gaggle of reporters. I, I've been in situations like that. You just want to go away. And, um, you know, they may have uh, had some level of, of belief that they had uh, enough information to make that statement. Um, but uh, I, I'm from the school where... Um, I like to have a lot more details before I'm willing to uh, to make a statement like that. Gary Baum also found no record that Miss Chasen's car was dusted for fingerprints on the passenger side, 
where the shooting came from and no evidence placing Smith at the scene of the crime. The next release of files came a year later when Katzenbach was given 200 pages of the semi-redacted witness reports, evidence logs, and financial documents, once again reviewed by The Hollywood Reporter in 2017. According to Baum, Detective Eric Hyon noted in Beverly Hills Police Department final report, there has been no evidence to directly place Smith at the scene of the murder, adding there is a substantial amount of circumstantial evidence which implicates him. Now to Joshua Ritter, criminal defense attorney, former deputy district attorney for L.A. County and host of the True Crime Daily Sidebar podcast. Josh, are you surprised Beverly Hills Police closed the investigation with only circumstantial evidence? No. I mean, many cases get closed uh, just based upon circumstantial evidence. It's, It's important to understand that circumstantial evidence, you know, includes almost everything outside of eyewitness evidence, direct evidence of having seen the the crime take place. So many times uh, cases are pieced together with circumstantial evidence. Um, What I find surprising is with the amount of evidence that they've released to the public, um, that they would declare it closed so emphatically. Um, And I think that's where a lot of um, questions have arisen from is that, you know, people are trying to piece this together. It's obvious that there's interest from the outside as to how this case is being investigated and who are the suspects and why did the murder take place and all of those kind of normal questions, but probably amplified some. Um, And it may have been helpful to be uh, more transparent about the amount of evidence that they did have, because sitting here as I do, with the evidence that we know about that they have released, it does not seem like as much of a slam dunk case as they've described it to be. The case files also include video of the crime scene and searches of Ms. Chasen's home and office, as well as semi-redacted witness reports, evidence logs, and financial documents. Those records show police spoke to the following her close friend and rumored boyfriend, Jonathan Novak, an art dealer and pallbearer at her funeral. Ms. Chasen's brother, Larry Cohen, to discuss a rumored alleged gambling problem. Jill Gatsby, Larry Cohen's daughter, employees of Ms. Chasen's PR firm, friends of Ms. Chasen, several residents of Whittier Drive, where Ms. Chasen crashed. But according to the Hollywood Reporter, surveillance footage was pulled from only a handful of businesses and residential security cameras with none of them showing Harold Smith in the vicinity. And some of Chasen's closest friends were never interviewed. A brief filed in Los Angeles Superior Court by Ryan Katzenbach claims that two of Ronnie's best friends, songwriter Diane Warren, who saw her less than half an hour before her death, and producer Lily Zanuck told him 
they were not interviewed by the police. The documents also reportedly showed that police spoke to multiple individuals who knew Harold Smith, who claimed he made comments to them in the days after the murder, including statements, I messed up, and have the cops been around. According to Kassenbach, some of the still unreleased case files include surveillance video footage of the Harvey apartment lobby before Smith's fatal interaction with police, as well as Smith's cell phone records and interview footage with witnesses. In their review of the documents, the Hollywood Reporter spoke with several law enforcement experts who were critical of the Beverly Hills Police Department handling of the investigation, highlighting the police department's inexperience in investigating homicides. There were five homicides in Beverly Hills between 2005 and 2010 before Ronnie Chasen was killed, and all were solved except for the shooting of actor Mark Ruffalo's brother, Scott, in 2008. And in that case, Beverly Hills police called the death a suicide by Russian roulette, then reversed their stance after the coroner's report showed it was impossible for him to have shot himself in the head based on the angle of the entry of the bullet. It was then relabeled as a homicide. David Snowden, Beverly Hills police chief until 2015, retired after questions that he allegedly earned a salary from a second job from a private sector job. Beverly Hills Police Department also recently faced accusations of racial bias on the heels of the George Floyd protest. In 2021, according to a class action racial discrimination lawsuit filed in California Superior Court by civil rights attorney Ben Crump and Bradley Gage, Beverly Hills police allegedly targeted black people with harassment and arrest for low-level or non-existent violations in an effort to keep them away from Rodeo Drive as part of the department's Operation Safe Street campaign. The suit claims that between March 2020 and July 2021, the task force made 106 arrests, 105 of whom were African-American people. Sandra Spagnoli, Beverly Hills police chief, who was in charge when new documents were released in the case, retired in 2020 after lawsuits alleging racism, anti-Semitism, and harassment. Joshua Ritter, is it unfair to suggest Beverly Hills Police Department would be underqualified to handle a murder investigation? Should this case have been handed off to Los Angeles Police Department? I think it would be unfair to say that they could not handle a homicide investigation. Um, they certainly have handled homicide investigations in the past. Now, granted, not a lot. And many of those homicides are, you know, usually involving do domestic violence, where it's fairly clear from the onset who the the suspect is. Um, where where I would be critical of Beverly Hills is in a case of this um, magnitude, not in the sense of its complexity, because the, the crime scene itself isn't hugely complex. And um, 
you don't have a, a bunch of moving parts that you would expect a, a larger agency to be brought in. But the case does have a magnitude in the, the sense of how it took on a life of itself and how there was such public and media intrigue um, that you would think in an effort to just get it right and show that they are team players, that they would have encouraged bringing in other agencies. And at the very least, the district attorney's office, who would ultimately be the uh, department deciding whether or not to bring criminal charges in this case, you would have thought that they would have brought them in early on. Instead, um, Beverly Hills seemed to kind of show a, a, a desire to keep this to themselves and to only release information that they felt appropriate and only in the means and mechanisms by which they uh, felt to be pro appropriate. And I think that was where some missteps were made. It's been over 12 years since Ronnie Chasen was murdered and perhaps more questions now than the day Beverly Hills Police Department closed the case. Thanks to new documents, continued coverage by The Hollywood Reporter and Ryan Katzenbach's 638 documentary still reportedly in the works, interest in the case remains strong and new information has only brought potentially more questions about Beverly Hills Police Department handling of the investigation. Here are some of the biggest questions that remain. How did the police determine Ms. Chasen was killed by a suspect on foot? Why did the initial coroner's report suggest she was shot from a vehicle and what evidence changed that analysis? How did police determine Harold Smith was at the scene where Ronnie Chasen was murdered? How did the police determine Harold Smith used the gun to murder Ms. Chasen? If Smith did commit the murder, how was it determined that he acted alone? Is there any evidence that rules out the possibility of another suspect or a murder for hire? If Ms. Chasen was killed in a robbery gone bad, why were none of her valuables taken? How was it determined her murder was a failed robbery attempt? How reliable is the information from the residents at the Harvey Apartments and how much stock did police place in those witness statements? Why was the case never brought to a prosecutor? What were the results of the ballistic testing done on the gun Harold Smith used to commit suicide? Were the bullets a conclusive match to Ronnie Chasen's murder weapon? Why hasn't the Beverly Hills Police Department released the surveillance footage from the Harvey apartment lobby before Smith's fatal interaction with the police? With only circumstantial evidence, how could Beverly Hills Police Department know conclusively and without a doubt that Smith alone killed Chasen? How could Smith have traveled from Sunset Boulevard in Whittier, drive back to the Harvey apartment after the murder? Why was Rodney Chasen's autopsy report placed on a special indefinite hold? Why did it take three years for it to be released to the public? We reached out to the Beverly Hills Police Department for this podcast. They did not respond to our request, and nor did they provide a comment or statement about the case. Former Police Chief David Snowden declined an interview. 
Engler, Knapp, and Allen, the strategic communication firm where Snowden now works as a senior advisor in the firm's law enforcement executive search and training practice, responded, the chief is not interested in participating in efforts to make a robbery homicide into a conspiracy. Several of Ronnie's friends and family still have doubts about Harold Smith's role in her murder. According to an update The Hollywood Reporter published in November 2022, the Katzenbach documentary is still in the works, and the battle with the city of Beverly Hills for access to the complete Chasen files is ongoing. We open up the floor for our final thoughts. We have with us Joshua Ritter, criminal defense attorney, former prosecutor in Los Angeles County, deputy district attorney. You can catch him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Josh Ritter ESQ or at joshritter.com. Also, Steve Katz, former co-executive producer and showrunner for America's Most Wanted. Merle Stebbin, licensed private investigator, former police investigator, instructor at California Police Science Institute, who specializes in crime scene proceedings and 45 years of homicide investigation experience. Let's start with Steve. Thanks. So I think that Josh really has it right when he says the, the main reason, maybe the only reason why we're talking about this today, still 12 years later, is because the police at the time didn't do a stellar job communicating with the public. And they just opened the door to questions being asked. Now, we have a right as citizens to ask all these questions, but um, as I said before, uh, to what end? Now, why are we asking these questions? Uh, most of the public, and I think everybody involved with this understands, but most of the public doesn't understand the idea of circumstantial evidence. And, and that phrase is thrown around. And again, Josh had it right. Like many, 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 many cases, most cases are closed on circumstantial evidence. You normally don't have direct evidence of a murder. Um, and, and the circumstantial evidence in this case was very, very strong. The publicity was very, very weak. Um, I, I, one of my jobs at America's Most Wanted, I used to read every letter from every viewer and every family that wanted that show to profile the crime that happened to their family to try to get some justice. So I, I made it a point to read every single letter. Sometimes they were a single page, please help me. Sometimes, and, and this is what some of the discussion of this case reminds me of, sometimes there'd be 30 pages long of scribbled handwriting and tiny little print saying, notice the angle of his hand was in this direction and, and the sun was, I went there the same, and I, I'm not being pejorative about anybody in particular here, but I'm saying sometimes people get so caught up and, and Josh as a former defense or as a defense lawyer and a former prosecutor, I'm sure you appreciate the fact that throwing out shade to try to create reasonable doubt is, is one of the reasons why people do this. But I remember seeing letters uh, about cases where they went into such intricate detail that, you know, the old uh, Kennedy session up and to the left, why did he go up and to the left? Things like that. And, and, um, we drive ourselves crazy uh, chewing on questions like that. We're, again, not being pejorative of anybody. This is um, maybe not exactly an open and shut case, but it's what happened was terrible. It happened to um, 
no murder should happen to anybody, but it happened in in bizarre circumstances uh, from people from two different worlds clash, a terrible person and a good person. And, and people found it hard to believe that a good person was killed that way. I mean, there was a similar case in Hollywood um, with Bill Cosby's son. Remember, he was he was shot by a roadside. It turned out to be a random type of thing, such as this. People didn't want to believe that either. Um, I think that one thing I think telling stories about crimes and investigating crimes for decades, as I've done, is that sometimes uh, Occam's razor is... Um, is uh exists for a reason sometimes the simplest explanation is what really happened and 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 sometimes some folks find it hard to just accept that thank you for that insight josh yeah i really appreciate steve's comments and i agree with everything he's saying i think what you had here um was kind of a perfect storm of uh, elements that led to, again, why we're talking about this case so many years later, it, you know, first you have this seemingly random crime taking place in a place where random crimes do not take place. And that immediately uh, pits it as something we can't understand and are not willing to accept immediately. And involving a person that is not a person we would expect to be involved in a random act of violence. And so immediately, uh, people are going to start to speculate. Then you couple that with the investigation, and we've talked about this a lot, but it's, it's not so much how they ran the investigation, but how they ran the, the publicity or PR of the investigation, for lack of a better word, and how they shared that with the public and the media that kind of added fuel to the fire of the speculation surrounding all of this. And then you have the unfortunate circumstances of how it was concluded in that you have a suicide, apparently, of the of the man who was the prime suspect, which not only is tragic in itself, but then doesn't allow us to have, you know, the the sunlight shed upon this case in an open trial where we could have seen all of the evidence and all of the stuff that we're waiting to see and the the um, autopsy reports and the experts and the ballistics and everything else would have been presented in an open trial. One of the great things about this country is that our trials are open to the public and open to the press and everyone would have been able to witness and report on it. And I think that we would have had far fewer questions than we have now um, and still to this day have, and rightfully so, as Steve pointed out, we're right to ask those questions and right to have them. And it's unfortunate that we're still at a place where we kind of can't put all of this to rest. Thank you. Merle? Yes, well, uh, I, I agree with, uh, in particular, the Ackman's razor. I like that. I haven't heard that in a while. But uh, the, the simplest things are really what really will answer most of this. Now, I come in at, 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 a, at a, the appellate level looking at what should have done or what was missed or uh, all these kind of things during the investigation trial phase. Uh, we actually, when I say we, I'm talking about Ryan Katzenbach and myself, we actually did a live fire demonstration. We, he bought an actual Mercedes just like hers. And so we, we did the linear pass. We went out and did live fire shooting into mannequins to find the trajectory and the linear path and everything based upon the statements that were written about 
possibly shooting off of a bicycle or standing there to find what the trajectory would have been at those particular angles to include shooting uh, from a vehicle, passenger window, driver's window, where you have a stabilized shooting uh, platform like the window sill. The other thing is that I've not heard anything or read anything from my time coming on to this when Ronnie was killed on November 16th to December 1st when Harold uh, committed suicide. Nobody knows when Harold got that weapon. He could have got it two days before he committed suicide. Uh, these things would pass all over L.A. and, and, and unfortunately, uh, through those kind of contacts on the streets. Uh, so there's a lot. I agree circumstantial evidence can be, in some cases, more illuminating and stronger than the other evidence because the timelines and things of this nature just make it virtually more understandable. But to actually close a case, and, and I was reading Detective uh, Hyam's report when he closed it, in one of his closing statements, he positively identified the weapon as being the one that killed Ronnie. Yet the ballistics report does not say that. It says it's insufficient. So those are the things that I, I think that the general public has a right to know. Why are we using two different conclusions here? And, and they're just opposite of each other. And that raises a lot of these questions that each, everybody else is talking about. And I do believe that the public has a right to know. But more important, it's my belief that we have two individuals that lost their lives, Ronnie Chase and Harold Smith. Um, and if Harold did it, then, then let's show that he did that. But these hypotheticals just are not fair to him, if you want to use that word fair. But Ronnie Chasen also deserves the right to have her assailant actually positively identified. And until that's done, these questions are going to continue. They're going to be out there in 10 years from now. So I, I just find it that we need to be a little bit more accepting of the writings as whether they're factual or circumstantial and then move. And I'm not an attorney. I work with a lot of them. But even on this particular case, it would be, in my opinion, be very difficult to get if you were to go and file to get an actual conviction because there's a lot of what if in the law enforcement reports and everything. And what if is not what our judicial system is made of. Do you think, Merle, that this investigation should be reopened or should it remain closed, the case closed? Well, my understanding, uh, Beverly Hills Police Department has already closed it. And therefore, um, the new chief of police or whomever they have over there to review cold cases or something of this nature, I believe that it will not be reopened unless they really have some more factual information uh, that will warrant it being reopened. And, and there's a difference between everybody says, well, these are the facts, these are the facts. I work on facts or those things that both sides agree on. Right now, there are issues because there's still some issues that I don't. I, I believe this. You believe that. They're they're not factual until they've been proven or shown to be irrefutable. Uh, so at this point in time, I think Beverly Hills Police Department will not reopen it. I don't think that they will uh, go through the process of doing it again. And it's been years later. 
that they're going to have a hard time trying to put together any form of a, uh, an adequate case to uh, either go after somebody else unless somebody comes forward and, and confesses, things of that nature. But no, I don't think that it would be who been at Beverly Hills Police Department to reopen or to take another look at it. I think it would just open up more the, the old wounds again. I think it's just, it's, it is what it is right now. Well, thank you all for your time, and, and I just want to get everyone a quick um, 30 seconds. So let's start with Steve. I think that it's, um, as we've been saying, we're, we're right to ask questions. Um, I, I think that um, there's there's reasons questions are being asked about this case, but um, I would disagree with one thing. We're all said facts are facts, whether or not you agree with them or not, and, and, and there are certain facts in this case and that may be open to interpretation, but um, I think that Ronnie Chasen was murdered by Harold Smith in an attempted robbery gone bad and everything else is just noise. Joshua? I, I think it's a fascinating case uh, for, for many reasons. I think it says a lot about um, us culturally, the kind of things that we find intriguing. Um, I, 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 I think that in some respect, it's, it, it is unfortunate that there are kind of these demons that haven't put, been put to rest for some people who are still involved in the case. Um, but I think it, at the end, it's kind of a lesson, hopefully, uh, moving forward and how, um, you know, in this modern day that we live in, especially uh, this case wasn't so much in the, in the, the depths of, uh, social media, but nowadays, uh, it, there, there's police departments need to have some cognizance towards how their investigations will be um, perceived, and it's probably best that they get out ahead of that in a way that will um, build public trust. Merle, well, I uh, I, I wanted to say I greatly appreciate the uh, comment about the facts that I understand, and to a certain extent, I will agree with that. Um, facts do become facts, but as long as we're still debating it, it hasn't really been settled unless one side is holding out on the other. But I think that the memory of Ronnie and, and Harold, um, I think because this has gone on for a long time, uh, maybe the son of just settle down here and let them rest in peace. Well, thank you all for your time. I'd like to thank our wonderful panel, Joshua Ritter, Steve Katz, Merle Stemmen, and thank you, the listener, for listening. And that wraps up and concludes our six-part series, Once Upon a Crime in Hollywood, The Rodney Chasen Story. If you have more questions or thoughts about this case, please feel free to go to once upon a crime in Hollywood.com or connect with me on social media or kellyhyman.com. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>